guys, as always, like uh, Nate said, no worries next week, no fears. Uh, don't let this keep you from attending services. If you get off on the Pima Princess exit, you won't have any issue at all. If you try Hayden, it's a little gnarly there, but if you just drive around to the exit right over here off the 101, uh, you'll be smooth sailing. So that's that. Um, Listen, I have a really special announcement to uh, make for the church family. By God's grace, he continues to add to our numbers. You guys have been inviting your friends and your family, and so we want to be able to make space for everybody, anyone that comes through our doors. We want to be able to accommodate them. So I'm excited to tell you that we are going to add a third Sunday morning service in the not-too-distant future, but here's the deal, everybody. We can't do that without your help. Let me say it again. We can't do this without your help. So this is the perfect moment for those of you, maybe you've been coming for a while and you've kind of been on the sidelines a little bit. Can I encourage you to get in the game? We want to help you with this. We have a little class called GPS. It runs just for a few weeks. It's starting next week. It stands for gifts, passion, spiritual gifts, skills, all of that, all the things that God has given you for the purpose of serving those around you. So that starts next week. My buddy James is going to be out in the lobby. He'll have a little GPS indicator out there. Also, you can go directly to our website, illuminatecommunity.com, and you can uh, click on the service tab, and there's all the information on all the different ministries that are there as well. So more details in the next couple weeks, but that would be one way that you could step in sooner than later, and we would greatly appreciate it. All right, so here's the deal. I was thinking and praying about how I could set the message up this morning, because once again, we're going to be reading the words of Jesus, and they're pretty heavy. You know, they press in on you. We've been talking about how Jesus says the most profound things that have ever been spoken, and very often it challenges the way you think, the way you feel, and what you do. So the message this morning is for anyone who has ever struggled with lust. Therefore, the message this morning is for every single one of us. Can we just be real? Let's just be real. Because the tendency when you hear a message like this is to think, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening. (laughs) And mentally, the tendency is to kind of take your elbow and go, (laughs) maybe even to the people around you. But I'm going to encourage you to take that elbow and just stick it right here, like right in your own ribs. Because it's for all of us, myself included, you, anybody who has ever struggled with lust. I'm going to do my best to keep this message at a PG-13 rating, too. Okay? I know some kids here, so I just want to forewarn your parents, right? Jesus speaks. His words give life. We would expect to see this life-giving influence, the outworking of it, the blessing that comes to us, even when those things are really difficult to hear. We've been looking at the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew chapter 5, on the side of a hill. One statement after the other, Jesus flips things completely upside down. It's been termed the upside-down kingdom, which I love. 
He's challenging the precepts, the values of this earthly kingdom. And he's revealing the values of another kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. There's only two kingdoms that exist. And everybody falls into one of these two categories. You're either living according to an earthly kingdom or you're living according to a heavenly kingdom. There's nothing in between. And Jesus begins to roll out this language describing what it's like to be a citizen of this heavenly kingdom. And, uh, and the words are heavy, profound, and incredibly relevant to our own time. Perhaps no other way to set yourself apart from an earthly kingdom than to talk about your own personal purity and what that looks like as someone who claims to be a Jesus follower. So in Matthew chapter 5, 27, he continues the discourse and he says, you have heard it was said... You shall not commit adultery. So this is true to his pattern. You have heard it said. The crowd is familiar with the words of Moses and their Old Testament commands there. You shall not. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. Don't pursue another person's spouse. And then Jesus adds to it. He doesn't contradict the words of Moses, but he takes it to another place. And what he does is he actually speaks to the heart, the heart of the issue. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the Greek word for looks literally means to linger. It's not a quick glance and then a look away. It's literally a stare, but there's something behind the stare, and that something is sexual intention. It is to stare with a sexual desire. Many people think that the Bible is prude, right? Outdated out of touch with modern times. Little do they know that there's an entire book in your Bible called the Song of Songs, and one of its main themes is the sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife, an entire book that has that as one of its major themes. In fact, it was considered so sexually explicit that young Jewish boys were not allowed to read it until they were 13 years old. The Bible tells us that God is the author and designer of sex. Therefore, he knows best. But these are challenging times that, that we live in. Um, what Jesus is about to tell us is that our lust problem is far more devastating than we realize. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse five, the apostle Paul writes very candidly to husbands and wives. He says, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. Deprive one another sexually, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again 
Watch this, here's why. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So a lot can be said here, but amongst other, other things, what, what he's saying is that uh, healthy physical intimacy between a husband and a, and a wife is actually a deterrent to adultery. This lingering stare that involves sexual intent is actually a very healthy thing within the confines of a monogamous relationship, a loving relationship between a husband and a wife. What Jesus describes here is something very different. This is the kind of stare that actually causes marriages to implode. And I'll explain that in a second because Jesus actually follows up with an example of it. Some people think that Jesus is making an about face right here. A couple verses later, he starts talking about divorce, but no, actually what he's saying is the two are actually very closely tied together. You see, your lust problem is a lot more devastating than you know. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, he says, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Oh, whoa, all of a sudden, once again in the conversation, it takes a a drastic turn. Jesus is getting real serious and laying down some heavy language. We'll unpack the meaning of this toward the end, and I think you'll agree with me that what Jesus actually says here is is deserving. But for now, let's just admit the fact that we live in an age where we can see more naked bodies in five minutes than previous generations our ancestors could see in five lifetimes. Technology, with all of its good, has brought some challenges. We literally have porn in our pockets 24-7. Parents have asked, when is the right time to talk to my children about these things? Well, you pick an age and then subtract subtract about three or four years from it. And that's when you want to begin the conversation. Everybody in the room has been touched by it. You you, you remember that moment when you first encountered it. For me, I was about 11 years old. New neighbors moved in right next door. Super stoked because they had a son that was my age, so we became fast friends. Within a week, I was in his garage. He wanted to introduce me to something that his dad owned. And it was an entire collection of Playboys. He had them cataloged. See, that's what it was back in my day. I'm one of those old dudes, you know, we had paper. (laughs) Simpler times. But even at at that young age, I remember looking and, and there's this sense, this isn't right. You're being so young. It's like women weren't meant to be just like objects. Even at a young age, you feel that. You know, it's like women aren't meant to be objects. But the allure, very strong. Everybody in the room has been affected by it in, in some way. If it's not your issue, and you're probably lying but you've been impacted by someone who has the issue. In some way, there's been maybe even some expectation 
perhaps even it's a, a body image thing, certainly the contribution to exploitation, it's all, it's all a part of it when we participate. Body image susceptibility, the list goes on, and you are not alone. And that is what makes the words of Jesus so incredibly relevant to our own time. Let me give you the backdrop against which he's speaking. In the crowd are two groups. On the one hand, you have the very religious people. These are the people that, in essence, went to their church every Sunday, tithed on top of their tithe, crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, super religious people. Then in the crowd, you have the commoners. And many of them are just irreligious. They're just trying to make ends meet. Life is an everyday struggle. The religious people are represented by the elite ruling class, the scribes and the Pharisees. They believed that it went from God to them to the people. And they were at war with Jesus because Jesus kept pointing out their hypocrisy. In fact, on several occasions, he would expose it to the masses. A few minutes earlier in the sermon, Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I mentioned it last week, and the people are thinking, then we don't have a chance, because aren't these like the most religious and spiritual people on the planet, and we have to be more righteous than them? And Jesus says, yeah, see, that's the issue. Outwardly, they look really good, and that could be the problem with religious people. They look sharp on the outside, man, like they have it all together. But they don't practice what they preach. A few chapters later, Jesus doesn't hold back. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, which means they take the place of the prophet, God to prophets to the people. They think they fill that role. And so they'll quote Moses, which is not a bad thing. So do and observe whatever they tell you. If they're quoting Moses, Moses is the man. He's got it right from God. When they talk about the words of Moses, they quote the words of Moses. It's all good. But don't do the works they do, for they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They take that, so what was happening was, and religious people love to do this, they take the words of God to places that God never took them, and, and they, they just, they add rules on top of rules on top of rules, and the people are like oppressed, like, oh man, I'm so far from God, I'll never get there. And the religious people are like, that's right, you're certainly not as good as we are, but keep trying. They themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. These are like religious accessories. Draw attention to themselves. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi, which means great teacher, by others. This feeds their egos. And then he blisters them with this. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. You try to convert someone and turn them into one of you. And when it becomes a proselyte, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So in large part, this is a conflict between Jesus and religious people who think they're holier and better than everybody else and like that this isn't their issue. 
And Jesus says to religious people, even though you may have not physically touched another spouse, you've thought about it. You've thought about it a lot. And therefore, you're actually just as guilty. So Jesus begins the sermon by lifting up the very people that the religious people were putting down. Blessed are the poor, the gentle, the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So, the religious leaders start accusing Jesus of being soft on sin. We talked about it last week. They try to confront him and trap him. They bring this poor woman who's been caught in adultery. Where's the man? He's not there. It's all a setup. They're gonna trap Jesus into denying the law of Moses. She's been caught in adultery. What should we do with her? You know what the Old Testament says. You know the punishment. So, isn't that right, Jesus? Or do you disagree with the great patriarch Moses? And Jesus responds in the most beautiful way because he says, all right, here's the rock. Who wants to throw first? All right, great, here's how it's gonna go. The one who is without sin gets to chuck the first stone. I said it last week. Jesus didn't condone everything same time, he didn't condemn anyone. I don't condemn you, he says. But then he says, go your way and sin no more. In other words, I care enough to confront you and to tell you that what you're doing is going to wreck your life if you continue down this path. If you continue to go down this path of unbridled lust, giving yourself away in adultery, it's not going to it's not going to end up well for you. So I care enough to tell you something that's very difficult for you to hear. Jesus was never soft on sin, but he was always extremely gentle with the sinner. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So this, this encounter begins to grow, this hostility between the religious leaders and Jesus. And so Jesus brings it to the heart of the matter. He brings a deeper understanding of our lust. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What he's saying is adultery is not merely a physical act, but adultery takes place within your soul. That's where it begins, within the heart. And these religious people were like, no, 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 you don't understand. We've had the thoughts and intentions, but we've never touched. Jesus says, stop fooling yourself. You're guilty. And the specific word that Jesus uses here is he's speaking to those who are married. In this context, this is a marital sin. And this is where some people misunderstand the context and, and they think that Jesus takes a U-turn, like, okay, I'm done talking about that, now I'm gonna talk to you about divorce. But the two are, are connected because very often, Unbridled lust leads to the dissolution of marriages. And so that's why Jesus turns his attention. He says, all right, now that we've talked about the lust issue, let's talk about what very often follows, divorce. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, interesting words here, porneia, from which we get our English word pornography, 
a very broad use of the term, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So a lot can be said here, but in this context, what Jesus is saying is, your lust problem, it has it's more serious consequences than you realize. So when you start to go down that path, you probably don't see the full trajectory, the outworking of it, but it's not good. It's not a good landing place for you. So anytime we receive the words, these words from Jesus' commands, we would expect to see the wisdom of these commands played out in everyday life, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. They're just built into the rules, the fabric of, of humanity, as God is the author, creator, sustainer of all life. And so as it turns out, pornography is actually, it's, it's actually pretty destructive to your brain. There's a rewiring process that occurs it's called neuroplasticity. Some of you might be familiar with this. What you subject your brain to, primarily through what you receive visually, your brain begins to make space for. And it literally begins to, through the flow of neurochemicals, form channels in your brain to create more and more space. So you see this in, in um, athletes and musicians who do things over and over and over again, and literally they've got spaces in their brain that are just devoted to their music or their sport. So it is with people who consume pornography, literally creating spaces in their brain. It's interesting because God created your brain and the physiology behind it, and he, he meant it for good. So imagine... Imagine your spouse being the sole object of your sexual desire, and what happens in your brain, the way God intended it to be, is that those spaces get created for the affection and the attention and the desire for your spouse. Those neural channels get formed for one body, the body of your spouse. And yet, we're bombarded by these seductive images that create space that desires more and more and more. And there is a literal rerouting that occurs that takes us away from our spouses. Uh, there's an ins insightful documentary called Brain Heart World, and some of it was actually filmed in Scottsdale, by a group you might be familiar with called fightthenewdrug.org. Men and women that have been held captive by porn. By the way, this is a, they describe themselves as a non-religious group. They wouldn't say, hey, we're Christians, we believe in the Bible. No, they're just saying, hey, listen, this is what happened to us as a result of giving ourselves over to this, uh, and it, it wasn't good, and it's not good for you, and we wanna help you recover. Um, the simple fact is, there isn't one longitudinal study, which means long-term, repeatable study, that suggests watching pornography makes your relationships better. Here's a quote from this organization. There is an ever-growing body of research, and it can no longer be denied, that repeated porn exposure has a tangible effect on consumers and is connected to declining relationship satisfaction, not to mention all the various forms of exploitation. So what I'm saying to you now is, let's just set the Bible aside for a second. I'm, this isn't even, this isn't a moral argument. 
It's simply something to consider based on the facts. So what do you do if you've been going down this road and you feel trapped? Because this is kind of one of those things that it feels like it's the tentacles are especially long and it's like the claws are deep and it's hard to remove yourself from. Well, this is why Jesus gets pretty radical in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. So Jesus isn't speaking literally here because uh, if you gouge out one eye, guess what? The other one will still look and still consume. Jesus is speaking hyperbole. Hyperbole is an overstatement for the purpose of emphasis. And what he's saying is you have to take thoughtful and drastic measures in order to rid yourself of this particular sin. And it's really hard in our culture because it feels like you have to wear blinders because you're constantly surrounded by it. It's everywhere. Even when you're not looking for it, Right after the first service, a gentleman walked up to me with his phone in his hand, and he said, hey, I went to share the, I went to share the church's website with a friend. It was at 7 o'clock this morning, and he Googled Illuminate Community Church. And the first link that popped up, he clicked on, and it took him to a porn site. I'm pissed. That makes me want to drive a stake through the heart of Satan and kick him in the crotch. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. It's not, it's really not a game. You know, you, 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 look, the harsh reality of, of our culture and world now is that we have children on display in advertising that is celebrated, which appeals to some perverted vices that would otherwise be shamed and is now on the verge of being celebrated. We're so open and tolerant. And what's happening is the arms of openness and tolerance are coming back in there. <coughs> Be real. Insidious. If you can capture a mind in its youthfulness, you're starting to rewire and reprogram for all that is destructive. You know, we could go on and on about the effects of this. There are, and I'm just talking secular, secular, secular research. Why do young men experience sexual dysfunction at younger and younger ages? It's, you just, you know, 
It's just the facts. Why is marriage being delayed later and later? Because we've got dudes that don't know how to enter into real relationships with women and just have conversations where you would woo a woman with your integrity and your character and then marry that woman and commit yourself to her and earn the right to have sex with her. Gone. Immediate gratification. I don't need, I don't need to say these things from behind the Bible, okay? This is why I said a few minutes ago, when we receive a command from Jesus, we would expect to see the logical, practical outworking of it in everyday life. We would ex- when we receive the commands of Jesus and the prohibitions, we would expect to be protected from those things. It's like having a toddler, don't play in the street. But I like the street. Those big shiny metal objects are awesome. I wanna play with one. Don't go out in the street, it's not gonna be good for you. It's just a matter of time when the realities of life, which God baked into life, the human fabric of life, you're gonna bump up against those realities. So what do you do? You have to take drastic measures and you have to be extremely courageous. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. You're like, Jesus, lighten up. Well, <clears throat> if you could see from God's perspective all of the pain and the hurt and the heartache and the exploitation that has occurred throughout human history as a result of unbridled human lust, you'd probably go, yeah, exactly. Hell is the place. You probably wouldn't have too much of a problem with that. The Greek word that Jesus uses for hell here is Gehenna, and it's basically the dump outside the city of Jerusalem in the valley. And it was always on fire, and it was smelly, and there was always smoke rising. It was a place you didn't want to be. And Jesus is like, but here's the deal. You've got Gehenna in your life right now, and you're living with it. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I came to give life and give it abundantly. He's not only talking about eternal life and life to come, but he's talking about, this is super important. One of the reasons why men and women are drawn to pornography is because they lack purpose in life. You realize that? The research indicates it's, that's one of the main draws. They lack purpose in life, and so they're drawn to pornography. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he's like, I came to give you life abundant, meaning, purpose, well-ordered. But you've exchanged it for the lives of the culture lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. That's kingdom of this earth principles. Jesus is laying down. He's dropping kingdom of heaven principles. So here's the good news. You can be set free, and you are not alone. Many of us in the room have been set free, and we want to help. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Austin. Austin, where are you, brother? Stand up, my man one of three guys that's taller than me. That's how you know him. <laughs> Thank you, Austin. Austin has an incredible story, and the uh, Bible says, comfort others with the comfort you have been given, and this dude's living it. You know, I'm gonna throw a picture of his family up there, and I appreciate how real this picture is, because look at little man. He ain't having it. <laughs> that's some real world family stuff right there, man. He's like, 
He is not smiling, man. He wants out. He wants out. <laughs> That's just being real. Beautiful family. Beautiful story of redemption. That story is told many times over within these walls. He has a ministry. Because this is his church family, because this is his church home, this is what he does. He's offering it for $1, 120 days of group coaching. You can't do this on your own. The lone wolf mentality, you have to kill. Let me throw up his handle real quick. Austin is a porn coach. That's him on Instagram, social media. All of you should be taking your phones out right now and using them for good and just snapping the picture. He's gonna be around hanging out after the service. If you wanna be more discreet, contact him. Very bold of you, very courageous of you to take that one first step and reach out. Now, let me speak to the ladies. You know, if you show up in group and you're like, hey, I struggle with porn, the rest of the guys are like, next. One in five women, it's estimated, now regularly view pornography and growing. The fastest genre of pornography now is amongst women, fastest growing genre is aimed at women now, especially young women. So it can feel especially taboo. So I have a friend, he's actually here today, he put me in touch with a solid resource I've reached out to, connected with, go ahead and throw that next resource up there, sherecovery.com. It's addiction support for women. These are women who have themselves had their own personal story walked out and have freedom and now form these meaningful connections to help other ladies, okay? There's great courage and boldness in taking that first step, and I assure you, you are not alone. The very beginning place to start, though, is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything apart from that, you will be trying on your own effort, and you can make it for a little while, but eventually, you won't succeed because it's the Spirit of God in you that activates and creates that desire to live as God created you to live. You, you can't, you, it just can't happen apart from the Spirit of God within a person. Sure, you can make steps forward, but any long-term, real, lasting effect is gonna be as a direct result of your relationship with the God who created you. And so that's why Jesus came to the earth. People ask, why did he have to die? He had to die because you and I contribute to the mess of this world. And that's what the Bible refers to as sin. And so the Bible says the life of a creature is in its blood. So Jesus had to shed his blood. The wages of sin is death. You heard Jesus say from God's perspective, if you could see all of the collateral damage from unbridled human lust, you would, it would be gnarly. You would not be able to tolerate it. You know, you'd be like, okay, all of that belongs in the dump. Because God is holy and just, he can't turn a blind eye toward it. So he's got to deal with it. So the mercy of the grace of God, it collides with the justice of God. There's this huge explosion. And when the smoke clears, Jesus is hanging on the cross, taking upon himself all of your junk. Forgiveness. 
That's where it starts. So I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes because we're going to end our time together in the way that Jesus commands us to. He said, remember me. Remember my death because my death represents so much. My death, actually, he says, represents life for you. Some of you guys have been coming for a long time and you haven't responded yet. Why? Why? I mean, honestly, what good reason would you have? I'll tell you part of the reason probably is because you don't want to give up control. I get it. I get it. But don't you see, that's proof of what the Bible says to be true about you and me. That's becoming God in your life. And that's not what is gonna get you or gain you God's favor because you still have this sin issue that has to be dealt with. How does that get resolved? Prayer, you simply tell God that you recognize that you're part of the problem. I'm part of the problem, we're all part of the problem. And Jesus came to take that upon himself to satisfy the wrath, right? God should be angry at what causes people harm. That satisfies the wrath of a holy God. That's the atoning work that Jesus did on your behalf on the cross. And so before, shortly before Jesus left, he said, remember my death because that's the foundation for it all. And so this is something that Christians have done for the last 2,000 years. If you're a Christian, I invite you to participate. If not, you can let this pass by you. It's okay. This is a, this is like a, this is like a family moment, I guess you could say. And this is what family does. We, we remember the sacrifices that are made on our behalf. So, Father, as we approach this time, would you continue to impress upon our hearts? Lord, first of all, I pray that your spirit would just speak in a powerful way to those that are here. And, you know, it's, it's, your spirit has been doing the nudging. And for, the, there's just still a resistance, Lord. Pray that, that some voice would speak loudly and that that resistance would come down. Father, for those of us that have been living in your grace and mercy, would you continue to remind us of it? And Lord, even in the quietness of this moment as we reflect upon Jesus' sacrifice for us, speak to our hearts in a new way. For our good and for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Passover meal, Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, and he says, now this represents my body, which is broken for you, his crucifixion, everything that he would endure, specifically attaches it to you. It's all done for you. As often as you eat the bread, he says, do so and remember me. Then he takes the cup, and he says, this cup represents a new covenant in my blood. Because his blood is perfect and pure, he could take the weight, full weight of the world's sins upon himself. The Bible says, he who knew nor, no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might attain to the righteousness of God. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink, do so and remember me. So Father, we pray that your spirit would just continue to invade this space, speak to our hearts forever grateful for the mercy, the mercy that comes to us from God through Jesus. Pray for all of those that are struggling and even for all of us who continue to be in a state of recovery. God, lead us by your good words. Grant us more and more each day that special measure of your favor in our lives as we seek to be under your hand of blessing with all that we say and we do for your glory and our good. And God's people said...